Welcome to the Week 13 What We Saw podcast. I am Eric Smith, and I am joined by Ryan Heath, and we are here to break down the most important fantasy football takeaways from Week 13 of the NFL. Um, It kind of felt like a bigger week for real-life football than fantasy football, but uh, there's always some good stuff to discover here, so we will be here to break down a few of the games that we watched. Um, As always, please go to the website, check out what we saw for every single game covered, every fantasy-relevant player covered. So uh, we'll touch on some of the highlights here. Um, I did learn an interesting thing, Ryan, before the Bengals game against the Chiefs. Uh, Tony Romo told me that the Bengals needed to beat the Chiefs to be considered uh, a real team. Uh, I guess the Super Bowl last year, 2-0 and against the Chiefs. Uh, it, it, you know, they weren't a real team yet. But now, now that the Bengals are 3-0 and against the Chiefs, Ryan, we can consider them as a contender. So I am very excited as a Bengals fan. Um, Ryan, yeah, I just watched the Bengals all day. I'm still on a high from that. So what I missed today? Yeah. Well, on the Romo thing, I got to say, like, this has always just been a law of the national media is that no team is a serious contender until they beat the media favorite, right? It's been Mahomes and the Chiefs for the last couple of years. I told you before the show that I never really noticed it until recently because I was always on the other side of it with Tom Brady for years and years and years. But yeah, I really feel your pain now. Not not that the Patriots have gotten close to being a real team by any standard, including Tony Romo's uh, since Brady's been gone. But yeah, I, I can understand the frustration there. But Outside of the Bengals Chiefs, uh, you missed a lot of good games, Eric. Honestly, I was saying before the week that this felt like the first good slate of games we've had in like two months. And I think it mostly delivered. Yeah, I did watch a good part of the Eagles Titans early on before the Bengals game. We may talk about that one. Uh, the Eagles are really good and just dominated the Titans. Uh, they they look headed for the Super Bowl right now. So yeah, there were some important matchups like that and a lot of craziness in the four o'clock action. I know I just kept sawing, uh, kept seeing injuries and uh, injury notifications, which we never want. So um, a lot to catch up on for the waiver wire podcast, but uh, we will do what we can as far as injuries go. Um, but Let's start out with a little talk here, Ryan. Uh, we kind of, in Discord, PL Plus, join PL Plus if you want to be in the Discord with us, but we kind of started talking about Tyree Kill versus Jalen Waddle and some of the preseason expectations on this Dolphins offense. And, you know, we were really in on Waddle and not Tyree Kill. And it kind of got you thinking about some stuff here. So why don't you um, go through what you were thinking here? Kind of, It's like the ceiling versus floor debate all over again and maybe somewhere we went wrong. A little bit, yeah. So I, I guess to remind everybody, uh, at least my sort of take on Waddle and Hill was I felt like they were very similar bets, but I just preferred to take Waddle the round later, uh, mostly because I saw a lot of things in his rookie year, just sort of in his profile that had pointed to him having a decent breakout as a sophomore. Uh, and In my Waddle love, I found myself nitpicking things about Tyreek Hill, like, oh, he didn't have that great of a target share that Waddle just had in only like two of his five career years so far. Like, I I was finding ways to drag Tyreek down because I wanted to push Waddle up. And I not only is that bad process, but I think we have come to understand a re- the reason why it's bad process. So if you remember back also to the preseason when I was talking about ceiling and floor and kind of how the goal of drafting in fantasy football should be to find the small handful of guys that are going to massively outperform just sort of their ADP expectation, uh, whether however you want to measure that in fantasy points per game or in wins above replacement, what, whatever metric you want to look at. Every year, there's only a handful that massively outperform the other players drafted around them. All that matters is you get a few of those on your team, and it all, almost doesn't matter which other players you have around them. So with that in mind, if the goal should be just to hit on those few players that are going to massively outperform expectations, then we should almost never be just picking only one player on a team if we think there's a pair of players that are highly talented, especially if they're both being drafted early, because their outcomes are highly correlated. Like, yes, the the super optimal thing to do on Hill versus Waddle this year was to only draft Hill 
and to not draft Waddle, right? Hill has been better and has outperformed his ADP by more. But it's way easier to say, I'm just in on both of them. Both of them have been good picks. You wouldn't be mad if you were drafting both of them a lot, but you're super mad if you were only drafting Waddle and not drafting Hill. So I I wouldn't even call this hedging. It's you're just finding only one thing that you have to be correct about, which is the Dolphins offense being bananas. And you, you know you're going to benefit from that almost as much as you possibly can. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. Uh, it, it brings up a couple different points just thinking about it. Like we see a lot of players, uh, fantasy players, ask us questions and sit starts where it's they're factoring in how they have two Dolphins players on the same team maybe. And they'll say, well, do I start Waddle if if I'm also starting Jeff Wilson? I and mean, that's a bit of an extreme example. But like we get bogged down in that stuff. And like you said, there are only so many players that matter each year for fantasy football, as far as winning leagues. And we shouldn't worry about that pre-draft either. If you end up with Tyreek Hill or and Jalen Waddle, which I have in some dynasty leagues, it's just fine. Like you, sure. It's not always going to work out like this Dolphins offense, but when it hits, they can both be good. You can play them both. It's not like they both can't have good weeks at the same time. So yeah, it's something we need to get out of our pre-draft thought process here. And it kind of goes back to like the, we don't know as much as we think we know kind of mindset that we should we should be drafting with like it's it's what's crazy with Tyree Kill is that he's having his best season pretty much as a pro and that's from the switch from Kansas City to Miami so that, I mean I think that's another reason you shouldn't be too hard on yourself about this call is because we are seeing him put up his best season to date in his career but it, there's just a lot to unpack here but we should not look at this like there's only room on our fantasy roster for one player on on a certain team like we just need high home run hitter hitting type players and let it shake out how it will when it comes to be week 13. Yeah, exactly. Like the two wide receivers on the same team are going to be slightly negatively correlated in a single week. Like in DFS, you aren't always going to double stack just because it's not always going to work out that two players on the same team will score the most points in a given week, but over a full season, they're, they're much more positively correlated, right? Like we, we want a high-flying, highly functional offense. And yeah, like you said, I, I, I don't know that this totally counts because Devontae Smith was being drafted quite a bit later, but I have Hertz and Smith on quite a few teams. And yeah, that, that's also been totally cool. Just, I just yeah. start, start both of them every week. It tends to work out if the offense is good. Uh, so, and I mean, just to make sure that we're not, only cherry picking the dolphins in this situation, like looking at the other pairs of receivers that were drafted early. I mean, we had Jamar chase and T Higgins that chase has missed time, obviously, but both of them have been pretty good picks on a per game basis, at least Uh, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, same, like both have missed time, but per game, especially Williams has been pretty good. I, I like, I wouldn't say that either of these players are, better at the expense of the other one. Like that's just not how it really feels right now. And Mm -hmm. on the other end of things, but also proving the point is Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy have both massively underperformed expectation, but it's for the same reason. They're both locked into that Broncos offense. So it, yeah, I feel like, as you said, we think that we know way more than we do in the preseason. So if we can accurately project which offenses are going to be good, we probably shouldn't get bogged down in these micro takes on why this player will benefit from it and this player won't as much or why this player will push out a different player with target share if we think both of them are talented or especially if the ADP market is telling us that both of them are talented. Yeah, even the Jets receiving core, I know Garrett Wilson has kind of taken over there, but we've seen this thing ebb and flow depending on the quarterback, and they kind of have been ebbing and flowing together. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it it kind of shows that we can still be really wrong on this stuff when you bring up the Broncos offense. Uh, It shows that we can maybe not be high enough on offenses like the Dolphins offense. So there's still these really huge swings, but it is pretty cool to see how related this all is to the quarterback, to the offense, to the play caller, and seeing – two teammates just smash this year in the same spot. So really interesting stuff to debate. Um, I hope it shapes how we do things next year. Maybe we'll just forget it all here in a couple of months, but it's definitely a lesson that we should keep in mind. 
Yeah, I mean, that's always a struggle, right? Is you you think in season, you just have this state of clarity in your mind. You're like, oh, I completely understand why all of these things have gone a certain way or have gone right or what, how I did this thing wrong. But then it's the off season again. And yeah, we get off season brain sometimes. We just fire off the same type of takes. And yeah, that's that's something we need to avoid. So I, I try to learn from my mistakes every season. And I know you do as well, Eric, but it, it is easier said than done. Yeah, I was having a debate with one of my friends about the Josh Jacobs season and kind of could we have seen this coming? And he his, his stance was kind of that, yes, we should have been able to see it coming. We should have been more in on Josh Jacobs. But I mean, we can't draft everybody, you know, right? Like you, you set your rankings and you can't draft every player that you liked some upside with them. And I think that's kind of what happens with Waddle and Hill is just you can't draft everyone. You have to pick your spots. And that was a spot we took, which was Waddle's being undervalued. I still think he was. We we know that he's a talented player in a good offensive situation. But uh, yeah, we we kind of pushed down Tyreek Hill just because we liked Waddle. So that's that's the thing that we need to avoid going forward. But um, there are just some breakouts we're not going to see coming. But the Dolphins, we, we should have seen this coming, I think. Yeah, I, on the Jacobs thing, I can't tell you that I would have had a way to see it coming. I Yeah, man, that's, a, that's another one I feel like I'm going to be just staring at and thinking about a lot in the offseason. And I, I mean, there are... There is variance in this game as much of a cop-out as that sounds. Sometimes learning from your mistakes means knowing when to not over-adjust or when to not just fit last year's results completely into your process for next year. Like we, as you said, we can't draft everybody. We can't get every single breakout perfectly, like draw a shape around the draft board to... Get, get exactly what we want and draft the exact same archetypes of players year over year and expect that shape to not change every year a little bit. So yeah, su- super interesting stuff. Uh, and yeah, may- maybe a week or in a week or two, we'll have the full Jacobs discussion. Yeah, my my quick research found that uh, he was running into stack boxes about the same. Uh, they were running more under center than they were last year. It was a lot of shotgun running. Uh, but the passing game has been pretty much the same for the Raiders. And it just the running game has been better for the Raiders. So it's it was as simple as that from what I could tell. They were just better at running the ball. So, you know, I, I think maybe the takeaway there would be a new coordinator. We don't always know who's going to get boosted, who is going to get, you know, dinged. And there's maybe a little more variance on Jacobs. But again, you could say that from everyone and we can't draft everyone. So it's just uh, this is why this this game is never going to be solved, Ryan. We are going to be trying to figure out how to beat fantasy football for eternity. Yeah, and I and I and I'm glad it will not be. All right. Uh let's move into some of these games, Eric. So, I my Patriots weren't playing today, so I got to watch some good football for once. Uh and of course, I I used my one chance to watch good f- football to watch some Mike White. Uh, this was <laughs> I I knew this was what I needed to do this weekend. Uh, so the Jets uh, ultimately fell short to the Vikings, 27-22. Uh, I, so before we get to White, I do want to start with the backfield because this is one we were monitoring all week. Uh, and the answer was kind of just Zonovan Knight. So Michael Carter did not play. Uh, James Robinson played only nine snaps and got just four carries, was not really a factor at all. It was extremely obvious that kind of every James Robinson touch was a wasted one. Don't don't even know why they bothered, really. So the way this backfield ultimately split split out was Zonovan Knight played almost all the early downs and Ty Johnson mostly played on third downs. Uh, And that that resulted in 15 of the 19 carries out of the backfield going tonight. And he played pretty well. Uh, He picked up a nice couple chunk plays in the third quarter. Uh, In the fourth quarter, he got loose for a nice 48 yarder down the sideline. He did get stuffed on the goal line on that same drive, but pretty decent stuff from night. I wouldn't be shocked if he kind of hangs around uh, even after Cardi's healthy and making that even more likely is Right at the end of the game, Ty Johnson was in in the two minute drill. Uh, he had been he'd been running routes, playing third downs mostly, as well as two minute drill. So Ty Johnson's in the game, catches the ball on the sideline, gets hit. 
and he just kind of crawls off. Like he was on the jet sideline. I, I mean, luckily he didn't have to crawl all the way across the field. That would have been pretty awkward when, <laughs> when they're trying to come back with under two minutes, but he, yeah, it, so we probably aren't going to get a status update on him for at least a day or two. Uh, Cause that Ty Johnson, I don't think is the type of player that, media is going to be asking coaches about in the press conferences. I haven't seen any updates on it on him. So that, I mean, that's potentially a big deal because that could mean that this backfield just congeals around Zonovan Knight and Michael Carter. And I mean, it makes things a a little more interesting. Maybe like we, we get rid of the otter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was my thought is that, um, Zonovan Knight might have really earned himself a role here. They're, they're not going to give Carter 80% of the snaps. They weren't doing that before he got hurt. I can't imagine that's going to happen afterwards. So those of you who picked up Knight, we may be looking at kind of a 50-50, 60-40 thing going on here. So uh, I think what's really encouraging for Knight is five catches for 28 yards on five targets because without that, I mean, he goes 15 for 90 on the ground, but that's only getting you nine points and uh, he didn't score a touchdown. So those, that receiving work can really bail you out. Was Knight a good receiving back? Like were they drawing up plays to him or was it just kind of like can't find anyone open last check down? That's where he's getting his passes. Yeah, it it was mostly like the Mike White check down type of okay. stuff. It was all like on first and second down, but they, they were letting him go out and run the route yeah. and Mike, Mike White's always happy to check down if he doesn't have another option. So it, yeah, I mean that that could continue even if he is – playing just that same role. And he he only ran a couple less routes than Johnson did. I, some of that's that he got to play for the rest of that two-minute drill. But still, yeah, it's, it's pretty encouraging that he's not just hard-capped at only carrying the ball on the ground. Okay, man. I think we can just write off James Robinson at this point, right? I mean, he's barely cracking the lineup right now. It's I, I think we're running out of time for Robinson to make a, an impression on this coaching staff. Yeah, I I think you if you have him, you can probably drop him in pretty much any redraft league. Uh, he, I mean, he could easily be a healthy scratch when Carter comes back, uh, just like he was before. Well, I'm glad that Zonovan Knight looks good. I can't help but think this should have been Brees Hall, but it's it's okay. I still haven't recovered from that one. But uh, okay, let's get on to the topic everyone wants to hear about. Um, that's Mike White. Now, Ryan, as someone who only caught the end of this game as it switched over on the coverage, I saw Mike White try to throw multiple red zone interceptions at the end of this game, and I believe he did throw one to end it. So um, did I just catch the worst part of the game for Mike White, or was it up and down overall? So the the Mike White performance was kind of like a sandwich. It started with some inaccurate throws, uh, some stalled drives, and an interception on the first drive. Uh, in between, you get you got some meat in that sandwich. Like so, had strung some good drives together, uh, but with a few of which I'll talk about. But then, yeah, at at the end, just could not convert in the red zone through his second pick on fourth. At least it was on fourth down. Like the pick didn't matter. It ended the game, but it was the same result as an incomplete pass essentially. So yeah, I, my impression overall of Mike white, I don't think he's like a super accurate quarterback. He's doesn't have a ton of like arm talent, but he does make, I I'll call them fantasy friendly decisions. He, is willing to force the ball into tight coverage and get, he usually will give his receivers at least a chance to make a play. So Hmm. when you've got Garrett Wilson, that's going to work a decent amount of the time. And that, I mean, that's something Zach Wilson generally wasn't willing to do. So that that's definitely a positive. And even though white will take those risks, I also think he sees the field decently well. Like we call him a check down artist, but the reason he's getting to the check down is because he's actually getting through his reads. So I he's sort of he's sort of the opposite of a Mac Jones in that way, where Mac Jones, I think, has all the arm talent and none like none of the field vision, none of the discipline to get through his reads. Mike White has all the field vision, all the discipline, but does doesn't have the physical capabilities to always make that play. And I, a lot of that could be seen when the Jets would get into the red zone. So the Jets, I think, kicked four field goals in this one. And every single time it was they would get a few chunk plays to help them drive down the field. And then they would just stall out in the red zone. And that I ultimately that was 
what that was why they lost at the end of the game. They just couldn't couldn't make Mike White couldn't make a play and force the ball into the red zone. The only time it did happen was when he made the play himself with his legs. Uh, it, it was third and goal on like the five or the six, got it into the one, and then managed he tried to sneak inside like a QB normally would on like a fourth and goal from a yard out. It did, didn't hit it, but then bounces the run outside, which I've, I don't know that I've ever seen a, like not a Josh Allen type of QB do. Bounces it outside, barely gets it over uh, because Corey Davis came up and pushed the pile for him. So that was like a cool moment. And I, I mean, it was certainly fun to watch, but yeah, I, I would be, I'm a little concerned that there's not like that pinpoint type of accuracy that you need to score in the NFL through the air. Okay. Um, So yeah, it's certainly looking at the box score. It was all Garrett Wilson. I'm actually looking at the overall stats here. I mean, the Jets better yards per play than the Vikings. They had more first downs, um, 83 plays for the Jets, 66 for the Vikings, a lot of plays in this game. Um, But I mean, like you said, fantasy friendly, I mean, sure, if they stall out in the red zone, we could use some touchdowns, but like this is a fantasy friendly offense if you're going to be throwing 58 times. So Garrett Wilson really dominates the work here. It looks like it was pretty rough though, when they threw it to anyone who is not Garrett Wilson. So what would you see from this receiving court? Yeah. So, I mean, in the first half, there was very little to even talk about. Like the Jets drives were just completely stalling out and nobody was really having any production, Garrett Wilson included. And really until the two minute drill started in the first half, uh, and, th- and then Wilson makes like a nice sideline catch. Um, but I mixed in with all of these highlights is Mike White, like overthrowing Wilson or overthrowing Tyler Conklin, uh, even on the Jets final drive that there was a really bad overthrow uh, to Wilson, where he probably would have taken it 60 yards to the house and won the game. So that I, then and that would have been nice. Then the Jets wouldn't have had to run a red zone offense. So, right. they, yeah, I mean, Wilson, if, from the receiving core's perspective, definitely took the lead, um, starting with the two-minute drill, the sideline catch. Uh, and, he, I mean, there were so many targets that Garrett Wilson had inside the five-yard line. I was trying to count and keep track. I think I think I lost count at four or five. There, there were just so many chances to potentially score that Garrett Wilson could have had. He like, he actually could have scored three touchdowns in this game and would mm-hmm. had three plays gone slightly differently. So I, I was joke in my notes. It's funny because I'm writing sarcastic comments about how the oppo model is going to love Garrett Wilson with all, all of this unrealized oppo. Uh, but I, he did, and he did end up having a pretty good day for fantasy. Uh, it's hard to complain about him catching eight of 15 targets for 162 yards. But yeah. I, keep in mind that that could have been three touchdowns added to that total. So I, Wilson's best play was like a 60-plus yarder uh, where he broke multiple tackles. But again, then the Jets just stalled out in the red zone. So it was it a lot of effort, but it all kind of ultimately became for – nothing on every single drive. So I I would have been pretty frustrated, but the the team just there's there is a vibe around this Jets team that they're they all absolutely love Mike White. Um aside from Wilson, uh Elijah Moore also nearly made like a really nice sideline catch in the first half, uh, but just couldn't really get his foot down. Didn't really didn't seem like he tried that much. So m- maybe that's like a technical little thing that a coach might point out about Elijah Moore that he needs to fix in his game. I there's there's no shot that that's why Elijah Moore hasn't been getting a full complement of snaps for a lot of the season, but a, a possibly a thing to think about. Um, but it's I mean, speaking of Elijah Moore's snaps, he only ran one less route than Corey Davis today, so we can pretty much consider him back to being a full time player and. Yeah, I mean, in the Mike White offense where they are willing to drop back 59 times and play at a high pace, that that could lead to some good fantasy outings. Um, 
I, and I feel similarly about Tyler Conklin. Uh, he, I believe, was seven targets, but only caught two of them for nine yards. Uh, White was just overthrowing him a lot and putting him in really tough situations. But you you can tell that he's like trying to go to him on third down. Like there, there's a lot of like trust and respect between this quarterback and all of these receivers seemingly. So it's it's hard for me to be like uh, to totally make fun of Mike White and be like, oh, he's so inaccurate. He's like he's horrible. He can't get it done for these receivers. Okay. Yeah. So it really stands out some inefficient stat lines going down. Once you get past Garrett Wilson, I mean, 10 targets for 85 for Corey Davis, that was the second best performance, but seven targets for 38 for Ty Johnson, uh, three targets for nine yards for Braxton Berrios, seven targets for nine yards for Conklin, six for seven for Moore. So yeah, there's really, it looks like nothing going on here outside of Wilson making plays, but it it is worth pointing out, like you said, that White left some plays on the table. So uh, maybe a little bit of variance with a, you know, a young quarterback, but uh, things are looking up for the Jets offense. They definitely are. Yeah. And I, I mean, you were sending me the tweet after the game where Garrett Wilson was just saying that there's, there's something special about Mike White and he like, he'd go to war for him. So I, yeah. I, I was it even in my notes, I, I was saying like, Oh, my, Mike White's kind of like th- throwing some hospital balls to Garrett Wilson. Like he's trying to get him killed. It's seemingly, it seems like and maybe they, maybe Garrett Wilson won't be wearing the shirt with Mike White's face on it next, next week. But I, I think he still will be from the way he's talking about him so I yeah I I feel like that's good going forward yeah he's a receiver 15 targets that's all he cares about so again though I mean we're back to the same old stuff with the Jets here that we had when Flacco was playing as it's like it's a lot easier to get 15 targets when you've got 58 dropbacks so that's always a huge part of this for the Jets is are they going to this super pass heavy mode or is it back to the Zach Wilson run heavy and it sure seems like when Wilson's not in there uh, they're going to sling it around the yard so um, unless you have anything else on the Jets uh, what'd you think about the Vikings today? Yeah, that is pretty much it on the Jets. Uh, The Vikings, there's just not really as many big takeaways. I think we kind of know what this offense is and what all of these players' roles are at this point. Um, On the backfield, I... I will say that Dalvin cook looks pretty explosive. He would, he's not watching him. I don't think like, Oh, he's this kind of aging running back that could be breaking down any minute. I, he totally is. He totally could be breaking down any minute. That's how these age curves work at the running back position. But right now he seems as explosive as ever. He was making multiple chunk plays in the first half, especially getting used in the passing game. Kind of like he always does did add a touchdown. Uh, The Alexander Madison touchdown was from like 10 yards out. I don't know that they would have subbed in Cook, uh, but Madison wasn't all that involved outside of that one 10-yard touchdown run. So Dalvin had 20 of the 23 backfield carries, and he ran 22 routes on 39 total dropbacks. So it... Pretty good usage for Dalvin Cook, like we've been seeing. Uh, it, it's not translating to monster fantasy production, but you should still feel pretty good about him if he's on your roster. Okay. And then for this Vikings passing game, I mean, it's going against a really good Jets defense. It looks like they passed a test here again because this was in Minnesota. Kirk Cousins, 35 attempts, only 173 yards. Uh, all the numbers across the receiving core are, uh, you know, deflated as you would think off of that line. Jefferson gets the touchdown on 11 targets. So Justin Jefferson's still good. But uh, what do you think about this passing game overall? Is it just more of a case of the Jets defense or are there some issues going on here in Minnesota? I think it was really just a case of the Jets defense. The Vikings put together a few nice drives, but outside of that, just kind of had it, it was very strange, like in the very beginning of the game, the Vikings were doing a much better job, like controlling the ball, uh, extending their drives. And then for most of the rest of the way, it was, it just completely flipped and it was the Jets doing that. So obviously way fewer plays for the Vikings. And also part of it was they were nursing a lead for a lot of it as well. There just wasn't that much urgency in the passing game because this game wasn't within one score until fairly late in the fourth quarter. It, and it, it was a two score game for much of it. So it, not a ton of urgency in general. But yeah, like as you said, these stat lines aren't super impressive. Uh, just six targets apiece for TJ Hawkinson and Adam Thielen. Uh, and I mean, 
yeah, like J- Justin Jefferson had a very vintage sideline touchdown catch where he's kind of fallen out of the end zone. So that that was cool, but it wasn't like a great performance overall for the Vikings passing game. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say there were any like systemic flaws that I saw. Um, one cool Justin Jefferson play was there was a trick play in the second quarter. Uh, th- this this play set up the Dalvin Cook goal line touchdown, actually. So Cousins throws it to Jefferson backwards behind the line, and Jefferson's like looking down the field like he's about to throw it down the field. Doesn't see anything, just takes it by himself, jukes multiple defenders, and picks up a chunk of yards. And then on the very next play, converts third down, gets blown up, unnecessary roughness penalty, half the distance to the goal line, immediately bounces up, does, like has no issues. And yeah, so that that was just an awesome Justin Jefferson type of moment and type of series. And they, I mean, they were kind of just completely coasting from there. All right. Well, I think a couple good teams here overall, even though we have been down on the Jets. Uh, this is a good team uh, once the quarterback plays a little better. Um, it's certainly they were in it and the Vikings team. I mean, it's now a 10 and two team. So the Jets hung hung in there on the road uh, probably should feel pretty good about this one. But, um, you know, it's a tough loss, too. So any last thoughts on this game before we move on? Not really. I just the moral victory for the Jets. Yeah, I I don't know how long Mike White's leash ultimately will be if they don't start like stringing a lot of wins together, because this organization thinks that they can win now. And they I mean, they can. Their roster is quite stacked from top to bottom. So I I don't see a deep playoff run out of this team. But if Mike White can even win a playoff game, then they're they're going to have some really interesting conversations in the offseason. I guess we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Well, next up, we have the Chiefs and Bengals, uh, which I obviously watched uh, every second of. Bengals hang on to win at home, 27 to 24. Uh, Really interesting game. um, uh, Since these teams played each other twice last year, there are just a lot of adjustments from last year to this year. You could tell both teams knew each other pretty well, and it was just a really great game to watch. Like, I think you're going to look at the box score and see some depressed numbers across both of these teams, but it was really one of those games where both offenses were good and just had long drives and just ate up clock. And sometimes we see that with these good offenses where they almost cannibalize each other because they're just on uh, these long drives. So you could tell that both teams here were daring the other team to run the ball and that shows up in the box score I mean the Chiefs had 25 carries uh looks like 29 dropbacks uh, the Bengals had 31 uh or, sorry 34 carries although Burrow had 11 of those um and then they had 32 dropbacks so it was a very balanced game plan from both of these teams so uh that would kind of be my first thing Ryan is whenever anyone looks at this box score just remember lots of long drives and lots of running that kind of both defenses were daring the offense to do yeah, I mean, that that's exactly what we were hoping for when this was the game of the week that we've been hyping up all week of <laughs> like we, we just wanted to see both of these balanced offenses like hold up all these drives that that was really what we were looking for. Uh, so I, I guess kind of glancing down this box score, let's start with the Bengals backfield. Joe Mixon ultimately missed a second consecutive game with his concussion, and it looks like Samaj P. Ryan led the way, but I, I did look up at my TV and see Chris Evans in the end zone at one point, Eric, who we did we did make fun of fairly recently. It was a glorious performance. He just popped up in the red zone, wide open touchdown. So, uh, I mean, this was the Samaj P. Ryan show. I was high on him coming into this game, and he delivered 21 carries, 106 yards. That's with a long of 10 yards, too. He earned all those yards, um, but really huge. Six catches on, uh, for 49 yards on seven targets. Like, they trust him a ton. He is running really hard. He doesn't make mistakes. And every time that Mixon is out, he's going to get the ball because he he's playing really well right now. It's He's one of those players that he, as a fan, uh, he kind of starts out in the doghouse and it's been wild over the last two years to see how much better he has gotten because it's easy to say we want Mixon to get the ball more. What's this scrub getting the ball for? Who's the the backup in P. Ryan? Like, why is he eating into Joe Mixon's carries? But P. Ryan is a really good player and, uh, you know, for a backup running back and he's really excelling right now in this offense. So keep playing him as long as Mixon's out. Uh, As soon as Mixon gets back, though, um, it's going to disappear. But, you know, they gave Travion Williams a 
carry. Uh, it's it's nothing new here with Chris Evans. It's just nice to see him pop up in the roster and, and make a con- contribution. But um, it, this is a team I think you can predict their running back usage pretty easily. Yeah, and that I mean that's nice. There's only so many teams in the league like that, so I I appreciate when we can when we can do that. Um, I do also want to ask you though. I, I see 11 carries in the box score for Joe Burrow. Uh, was this more running for his life type of stuff in in kind of typical Joe Burrow and Bengals offensive line fashion? Or were there? I can't imagine there were designed runs for Joe Burrow. So, so what what did you think about that? Did it, did it feel like the game was flowing in a different way because of all these Joe Burrow rush attempts? Oh, Ryan, it was a little bit of everything. The Joe Burrow rushing experience was uh, vast in this one. So there was a designed QB draw in the red zone. That was his rushing touchdown. It was beautiful. He followed his blocker to the right and like read the blocking and cut back like against the grain and fell to hole. So that was his rushing touchdown, uh, kind of spread out in the red zone for, for a touchdown. And then there was a carry where uh, it was a read option and uh, I'm assuming that P. Ryan did something wrong because Burrow makes no mistakes, but um, they, they missed the handoff. So Burrow just followed P. Ryan up the middle like a running back. And I think that was the 16-yard run he had. Like that, So that was basically Burrow, the running back, with P. Ryan as the lead blocker. So that was kind of hilarious. Uh, they kept doing QB sneaks on like second and one, which was weird. So there were like several QB sneaks uh, mixed in here. So And then he did have a few scrambles. So it was really everything. But he used his legs and especially in a do or die game like this or not do or die, but in an important game, like he will run and he'll score touchdowns. And I mean, you could see it was the same with Mahomes. He had, if the chiefs would have won this game, uh, his rushing touchdown would have been um, uh, a photo of the year, kind of highlight of the year. He kind of air Jordan it over the end zone up high for, uh, for a touchdown, but you could see these quarterbacks were laying it out. Like they wanted this win and they were not afraid to take hits. So that was, it was a little bit of everything. And he's, he's athletic enough. He can make it work when he needs to run. Yeah, and Burrow has been, especially in the red zone, he's has yep. been adding that to his game recently. I think, as you have pointed out, so I that make that adds a new dimension to his fantasy value, and so that we obviously love to see that. Uh, so, as you said, some of these uh, receiver lines are going to be deflated just based on the pass attempts and all the running that was going on, but. Talk me through the Bengals receiving core. Jamar Chase made his return this week. How did he look? Did he look healthy? Yeah, Jamar Chase looked awesome. Eight targets, seven catches, 97 yards. His incompletion was a one-handed snag. Like just, he was just too far out of bounds to get two feet in, but it was an incredible catch. Um, They gave him screen plays where he broke yardage and had a huge first down conversion late in this game. Like they got him the ball short. We didn't see the big bombs to chase. He did have one on the sideline where he broke a tackle and made a little something afterwards and he could have popped that one. But no, it looked like the old Jamar Chase. They maybe did not force feed him the ball so much as they have at times. But a lot of that is just, I mean, Burrow was 25 of 31 here. Uh, He played an excellent game. I think he made like one mistake all game. He's getting really good at checking the ball down when he needs to. And it's just, he just spread the ball around. I know their first, uh, his first eight completions went to six different receivers. Like this was just throw it to everybody day. And that's why Chase just didn't get fed and he still had a good game. So yeah, if you have Jamar Chase, he's full systems go going forward because he looked just the same. All right. I mean, I mean, that's great to hear. Uh, I, I also see on your notes that we get missed out on a couple touchdown chances for the other receivers. So I maybe describe those and uh, mm-hmm. g- give me your take. Yeah. So Tyler Boyd ends up uh, four catches on uh, for 60 yards on five targets. His one incomplete target was an awful drop. It was third and three in the second half and he ran from the slot. They did a little pick play. He was absolutely wide open for a touchdown, uh, probably a 30 yarder somewhere around there. And he just flat out dropped it. Burrow kind of lofted it up for him, kind of like a change up a little bit, but I mean, there was nothing on the throw that you could fault. It was just a flat out drop. So Tyler Boyd, decent day anyway, um, dropped a touchdown though. And then um, T Higgins, it's hard to keep track if they scored on this drive or not. Um, but he had a touchdown he just missed um, on the sidelines, just didn't get two feet in bounds where he jumped over a defender. Higgins still ends up with one with a touchdown on the day, only five targets. But every time they went his way, he looked really good. He had the game-winning catch, kind of tight window catch. 
Um, you know, he still looks awesome. So I don't know. He just missed a, a little better day. I'm sure we're going to have these days with Chase back. There's just a lot of options here, but I, I, I would not be concerned about the low volume from Higgins. It's there are only so many good passing games in the NFL right now. Uh, I want to start players in this one. Fair enough. Yeah. And before we move over to the chief side, I do just want to add, I've, it's taken me forever to find this stat, but 15 red zone rushing attempts for Joe Burrow this season. So that, that is more than a lot of quarterbacks in this league. Like that, that, that is not a zero that you would expect from a lot of pocket passers. So de- yep. definitely something to consider, especially like in DFS. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. So moving over to the Chiefs, uh, you di- you did allude to the awesome rushing touchdown that Mahomes had where it it looked like he was trying to dunk the football kind of was what kind of how it looked to me when they were replaying in slow motion. So that was obviously really fun. But also talk me through the backfield here a little bit because we get, we got some production out of the Chiefs backfield. Yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see the snaps. I'm not sure if they're out yet. Maybe you can grab them if they are, but um, we're recording not too long after this game ended. But uh, I thought Isaiah Pacheco looked really good in this one. And we were talking before the show that the NFL is in an interesting spot right now because the Bengals just completely shut down Derrick Henry last week. Uh, But this one, the Chiefs were able to run the ball because the Bengals had to sell out to stop the pass. And it's interesting how these run defenses can kind of vary from week to week depending on their opponent just because – rightly so the Bengals wanted to stop Mahomes and it left a lot of work for Pacheco so he had 14 carries for 66 yards long of 16 he scored a touchdown uh Jarek McKinnon also had eight for 51 on the ground like it was a good running day for the Chiefs I was pretty impressed with Pacheco he had a nice kick return too he's just fast now you can see I mean when you're only catching two passes if he doesn't get the touchdown this is a disappointing day so we're, we're kind of always in that zone with Pacheco where if he doesn't score a touchdown you're probably not super thrilled with him but um, he sure seems to be the lead back in this offense other than McKinnon getting passing work and uh, they are running the ball well I mean 5.5 yards of carry on 25 attempts so I was impressed with Pacheco and he's the lead back here and I think and McKinnon caught a touchdown in the red zone so I, I don't know they're getting pretty good production from these running backs I was impressed overall with what I saw from them. Yeah, Pacheco looked a lot more explosive to me in the parts that I did catch of this game than in games past. Like, I I was kind of not impressed with him from what I'd seen before. But yeah, I I saw him make a few explosive plays. So maybe I was a little too quick to judge. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we got production out of the running backs, but things were a little dicier moving over to the receiving core. Uh, no Chiefs receiver had more than six targets. Uh, Marcus Valdez-Gantling and Travis Kelsey both tied for the target lead there. Uh, and MVS also led with 71 yards on just two long receptions. So I, we, we got some of those prayer yards that from Marcus Valdez-Gantling that we're used to eventually materializing into actual yards, but other than that, didn't didn't seem like a very productive day for the Chiefs passing game. Yeah, I mean, Bengals hold them to 10 in the first half. They gave up 14 points in the third quarter and then shut them down in the fourth. I mean, again, the Chiefs were off the field a decent amount with the Bengals driving, but uh, I don't think Kel- – yeah, Kelsey did not have a catch in the first half, so all of his catches came in the second half. Um, they were clearly focused on Kelsey. Kelsey also uh, got the ball ripped out from his hands to – take off two points on a fumble. So rough day for Kelsey overall. He he did get things going in the second half, but yeah, they essentially, they were actually blitzing Mahomes quite a bit at times in this game. And that was causing him to have to go deep to Marquez Valdez Scantling. Uh, The two catches for 71 yards were like really good coverage that he made tough catches on. And so the Bengals made it tough. They they blitzed Mahomes. They made him go deep, and they connected on them. Um, but then Marquez Valdez-Scantling also dropped what was a, a pretty easy touchdown in the red zone. So it's kind of good, kind of bad with Valdez-Scantling. Like he, I mean, he leads the team with six targets, and he was getting downfield targets, and he was converting on them, and he had a red zone target. You know, so it's it's I probably the same thing as always with Valdez-Scantling, but. I think against good defenses, if they can slow down Kelsey, somebody is going to have to step up. And Valdez-Scantling was the closest they had, I would say, in the receiving core to like really making something happen here. Yeah, and then, I mean, looking further down this box score and these stat lines, Juju Smith-Schuster catches just three of four targets for 35 yards. Uh, Sky Moore, it looks like, did not have a target, only got one carry. Uh, 
It, so yeah, that that's kind of where it ended. I was, I don't expect like a positive Skymore or Juju take out of you, but it, I mean, any, just sort of any thoughts from what you saw or no? No, I mean, Juju did have a pretty big conversion. I believe that he got away from Mike Hilton and got a little after the catch and looked like he might be as on his way to a decent day, but he kind of disappeared. It, it was really, it, it's it's odd because it was the Bengals daring the Chiefs to run the ball. The Chiefs did run the ball. They ran the ball well, but I mean, it still kind of shows that you'd still rather have Mahomes throwing the ball. So I don't know. It's just, uh, it was an interesting chess match on both sides of the ball here. And the, the Chiefs were moving the ball. They just had a, a bad turnover with Kelsey and uh, kind of ran out of time at the end. So I, it was playoff atmosphere on the road. I, I think it's pretty easy to give them a pass on this one. So I don't know. Otherwise, the rest of the receiving core is, is pretty gross. So they really need Smith-Schuster or Valdez Scantling to step up because uh, I don't know. Sky Moore was running like, you know, in motion a lot, but I didn't really see the ball going as way much. <laughs> yeah, they, they like having him just run wind sprints behind the line of scrimmage. It, like this, this is even worse than Marquez Valdez Scantling running yeah. wind sprints down the field. Like it, Sky Moore is not even allowed down the field like that. Yeah, that's pretty frustrating. Uh, and I assume if the listeners don't know, you can tell by that last question I asked of trying to fish a positive take about Sky Moore or Juju out that they are the ones that are on all of my rosters. So that's I, not my bags are feeling pretty heavy looking at the Chiefs right now. Uh, it, if do you have anything else to say on this game uh, or do you want to wrap it up or move to another game? I would just say um, Hayden Hurst was kind of on his way to a typical performance and got hurt pretty early on. So two catches for 12 yards. It was real early. So he would have given you a good game or decent game, if not injury. Um, And other than that, uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Like, I mean, honestly, I know I'm biased, but Burrow played an awesome game and almost every drive was like a a weird fourth down call where they would get stuffed or a penalty or there was just – um, that, that's basically how the Bengals drives ended. So they looked really good at home. It could have been more than a three point win. Uh, the chiefs had a chance to win it late too, but it was just a really fun game. That feels like one of those playoff games where you're analyzing all these little coaching decisions afterwards. And, you know, fans are fighting with each other on Twitter. So good stuff. It, it feels like we are almost to peak Twitter playoff season already. I, I'm glad we are. That's, that's my favorite time of year, maybe second favorite Se- second to right before when week one kicks off when we still think we know everything uh all right um so i know you watched a little bit of the browns texans game uh so maybe just really quickly i the only reason i'm bringing this up is because i want to make fun of deshaun watson so eric read off the stat line to me and tell tell me what the browns are doing here (laughs) Well, I want to start this off by talking about the Texans only because it puts into light the Browns performance today. But the Texans are, I mean, this is one of the worst teams I've seen in a while. Like they, what, fall to 110 and one now. There's just no talent here. Brandon Cooks did not play. He got an injury late in the week. I'm not sure if he wants to be a part of the team anymore. So who knows how serious that injury is. But there are just no weapons on offense other than Pierce, who, you know, he's a running back on a bad team. Uh, Kyle Allen looks horrible. Like, the Texans are really bad. And this was kind of one of those games where both teams – fans are probably yelling at their coach, why are you not running the ball more? Because neither of these defenses can stop the run. And even the Texans, like, uh, you know, you would think that they would do love to do nothing more than just run Damian Pierce a million times. And I think they could have done it more here. Like that was their only chance was to give Pierce the ball. So I just want to preface all this by saying that Texans are horrible on both sides of the ball. And the Browns offense was not very good. Uh, it, it was pretty clearly rust. I mean, Watson was just throwing balls in the dirt everywhere and not playing well. Um, he threw a bad interception in the red zone right to uh, a Texan safety, I believe. Like, it was a really poor decision. Um, he had Anthony Schwartz get stripped of the ball and fumble at one point when they were driving. Uh, a lot of bad stuff here with the Browns' offense, but really, like, the Texans were so bad that eventually – it kind of felt like, well, we don't need to show much more of our offense here. Like, let's just run Nick Chubb 17 times. Could have been more. But, like, let's just run the ball and get out of here. So uh, two defensive touchdowns for the Browns. Um, a punt return by Donovan Peoples-Jones, who is finding creative ways to get in the end zone at least. But, um, yeah, when you score three touchdowns without your offense scoring them, uh, it's hard to lose games. So 
that's my takeaway. They, the, the passing game has a long way to go here, uh, but they also kind of were able to just shut it down at one point because the Texans are horrible. All right. So th- thank you for setting me up because now, now I'm going to deliver the Deshaun Watson punchline. I'm glad you okay. saved it for me. So here, here's the stat line, folks. See, 12, com- completes 12 of his 22 passes. That's a 55% completion rate. 131 passing yards and an interception. He also ran only seven times for just 21 yards. Uh, That ended up at 5.3 fantasy points on the day. I would just like to point out that Jacoby Brissett has not scored less than 10 fantasy points in any game this year, and he's had a worse completion percentage in only two of the 11 that he has started. So, yeah, I mean, I put this on Twitter. Why, why are the Browns paying $400 bazillion for Deshaun Watson to hand the ball off 31 times? Because I, I'm pretty sure Jacoby Brissett can handle that, and he might even complete more of his passes. Well, I mean, Watson has not played in, was it 400 days? I'm not even sure. They, they kept talking about how many days he has not played for. So, I, I mean, this is to be expected. To, to expect him to play well right out of the gate is wishful thinking. Um, it's, But, yeah, I mean, the offense looked better with, with Jacoby Brissett in just one week snapshot here. So, it, I mean, they're committed to Watson at this point, and they've got to make this work. And I'm sure it will work because I do think there's the bones of a pretty good offense here in Cleveland. But um, he, he's got to shake off a lot of rust. And they'll play the Bengals next week and probably look like a Super Bowl team because that's just how the Browns play against the Bengals. But um, another point I wanted to bring up here is that, the, I mean, this game was in Houston. I was a little worried, like, maybe this would be like their Super Bowl crowd. You know, the fans super into it, just a hostile environment. Uh, the telecast mainly just showed the crowd at the beginning of the game. Maybe it filled in, but they, this was not a packed house. And this was not like a, a horrible environment for Watson. Like there were some boos, but this was a pretty tame uh, road game for him. So uh, yeah, I, I just thought that was worth mentioning. Cause there's, there's, you kind of get into those narratives like revenge game and all that, but uh, there didn't feel like a whole lot of revenge from the Houston side in this one. It's just like a sad season that they're waiting to end. Yeah, Houston's just completely run out of fight. There was no, there was not going to be any any sort of fight put up, uh, no matter how they feel about Watson. Uh, all right, I I think that kind of covers it for this game. Is there anything else you want to go into? No, I think that's good. Let's just hit on uh, Titans Eagles real quick. Uh, that was another game I was flipping between early on and. Both of these games ended up such blowouts that I think both channels cut away from the game at some point. So, um, yeah, the Eagles just crushed the Titans. Uh, I don't know, Ryan, what else there is to say other than A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are awesome and they were unguardable and they just dominated this Titans pass funnel defense, which we've been trying to stress over and over again. Yeah, it, I was extremely excited to play both A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith this week. I had A.J. Brown in DFS where I was thinking he was going to be lowly rostered. He was, wasn't quite as unpopular as I expected. But yeah, I mean, I mean, what what else can we say? This this Eagles passing game has it's been a little up and down, but it it's extremely explosive. And when it's firing on all cylinders like this, like this is what you get. Uh, I'm also interested though, uh, on the other side with the Titans, I know Traylon Burks did leave the game with a head injury. So maybe describe that play and what happened there. And if you have, if you have any medical takes on how worried we should be, maybe, maybe go ahead and let those fly. Yeah. I mean, he took a shot. This was real early on. He caught a 25 yard touchdown on his only target. Traylon Burks did took a helmet to helmet shot and was knocked out cold. Like I think the only reason he didn't drop the balls, it was just kind of nestled in his arm in the right way, but he took a bad hit. So as soon as he was out cold, like he's never coming back into this game. Uh, but he did get up and walk off. Uh, I think, you know, it, Vrabel was like on the field. It was a scary scene at first and Vrabel was on the field, seemed concerned. And like, I, I think that Burks has done a lot of good things this year. And I think he's won over this coaching staff and he seems like he's well beyond that rookie kind of hazing we saw from him early on on this Titans team. So it, it, it's a downer if you played him this week and you only got the touchdown, but it was just when he left this game, there is nothing in the Titans passing game. And it's very clear that he is their best option and he's not AJ Brown yet. He may never get there, but he's, 
he's doing a pretty good AJ Brown impersonation and he's going to be a big part of their plans going forward. So yeah, I, I don't, I would bet he's not back next week just cause he seemed to be knocked out cold, but um, he wasn't stretched off or anything. So hopefully he's doing all right. I don't think I can even think of an example of a player that has returned from a concussion in less than a week since the Tua fiasco that happened earlier this year. So yeah, I yeah. probably safe bet he misses at least a game. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if there's much else to say there. Derrick Henry, another kind of disappointing day on the ground, just 11 carries for 30 yards. But I mean, I mean the Titans, I um, imagine we're in a negative game script for most of this. And I mean, that's just not going to be a Derrick Henry type of game, especially against the Eagles front seven. Yeah, and we had talked to Drew DeLuca recently about how they made they, they got some reinforcements along the defensive line. The Eagles did, and it's a better run defense now. It sure looked like it. He was getting shut down just like he was last week against the Bengals, 11 carries for 30 yards. Uh, it felt like they tried to get him involved in the passing game more than his stat line shows, three targets, two catches, eight yards. So they were trying to get him the ball there a little bit. I wonder if one was called back by penalty or something. But, yeah, it was a rough day for Henry. Uh, really, my thoughts on this offense overall, like – like I said, once Traylon Burks left the game, there's nothing on this offense outside of Henry, and it's easy to key on him. Uh, the offensive line struggled in general, so I think this offensive line is just nowhere near what it was during Henry's heyday. And then Ryan Tannehill, he started out early on running the ball a lot. Um, he picked up, yeah, three carries for 34 yards. He was coming up with some big conversions, and he's just been getting over a high ankle sprain. And then at some point in this game, he rolled his other ankle uh, so he had both ankles taped up. He was hobbling all over the place. So just as he's getting healthy from another, uh, he's got the other ankle hurt. So I, mobility is a big part of Tannehill's game. Like he's, he's been a player that can take shots downfield and can make plays with his legs, especially in the red zone. And if he's limited with mobility and this offensive line is not good, it's just, I mean, he took six sacks today. It's just, uh, it's not going to be a good offense. So uh, really the lone bright spot here was, and I've noticed him over and over again. Um, this is Okonkwo from the Titans. Uh, their, their young tight end, Shigoziam Okonkwo. Uh, he makes plays. He had a 41-yard reception in this one. Um, he had 68 yards and four catches, both of which what uh, led the team. Like when Burks isn't in there, Okonkwo is like the only player that looks like dynamic at all so it's hard to tell with these young tight ends like he's probably not playing that many snaps and you never know dynasty wise but I do think Okonkwo is someone to keep an eye on down the line I knew you were going to find a way to get Chico Conquo into this podcast this is like your new Tyler Conklin Eric you're just going <laughs> to continually be obsessed with him I'm you're, you're probably going to be touting him in the offseason too and dra drafting him in the Scott Fishbowl in the last round or something I can, oh, I can't I can, wait. I've already Eric I know this is your take nine months from now like i i can predict it completely he, he uh most snaps for the titans most routes run uh as far as tight ends go like i don't know man we, we might be onto something here but seriously though it's it's so hard to know with these young tight ends but he's he's 23 years old was a fourth round pick and he's got a bunch of long receptions this year i mean just looking at the box scores like He's got four in his last five games. He's got a 30-yard reception or more. So it's unlimited work, but they're starting to ramp up his workload. So dynasty-wise, go get a Conquo. All right. I think the only – unless you have anything else to say about any of these games, the only thing I realized I forgot to bring up is I was thinking about this today uh, just in, in terms of Zach Wilson and how the locker room feels about him. I, I was kind of thinking like, okay, I, I can sort of see this that – uh, a lot of these players just aren't don't really vibe with Zach Wilson as a personality. He's he's like my age. He's like 23. He's probably looks and acts a lot like I do, too. I wouldn't think I would get along very well in an NFL locker room. Uh, but then we were talking in Discord a little bit, and I, I got to wondering, who, who do you think is less popular in New York right now? Is it Zach Wilson or is it me with all of my bagel takes? <laughs> Oh, wow. That's a tough one. I, I think uh, Zach Wilson's got to be pretty far down right now on the list of uh, disappointments in New York. So you're probably just like number 4,322 who had a bad bagel take, but Zach Wilson is the uh, top five pick that's uh, sinking an offense. So I, I, I don't know. I think you skated by another week. I think Zach Wilson will do something dumb here and everyone will move on from uh, the Ryan Heath bagel fiasco. 
Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear it. Even under that post, people were making comparisons to Zach Wilson and then Jets fans were coming in like, what are you talking about? New York hates Zach Wilson. I'm like, you didn't three weeks ago. You were in my mentions three weeks ago saying the exact opposite thing. So that, yeah, I don't know, Eric. Is, is this podcast over? Can we can we be done talking about Zach Wilson and bagels? Yeah. I think so. I'm uh, going to enjoy my Bengals win for a little longer. I was, for the first time ever, I was disappointed that the game cut away right after the game ended to watch uh, the end of the Chargers Raiders game. I was like, I want to bask in this win. I didn't even get a good replay on Burrow's last completion. Like, you all just cut away. I wanted to see the Burrow on field interview. Like, what are you doing, CBS? So, yeah, I've got a few bones to pick with CBS after that one, but it's okay. Uh, we pulled out a win. So, okay. No more complaining. I think we got this. Uh, check out the What We Saw article, everyone. Um, good stuff, as always, will be on there. I'll have a contribution as well for the Steelers-Falcons game, who I'm not sure uh, anyone watched today. So uh, check it out if you missed that game. Uh, thanks for joining me, as always, Ryan. And I hope you all uh, pull out some wins here and uh, are in good shape going into the fantasy. Game.